Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News podcast. Um, joining us today, we welcome CEO of Lightvert, Daniel Seiden. Daniel, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. It's good to be here. You're in uh, central London at the moment, near uh, Lightvert's uh, base, um, and before we really sort of bring you into it fully, I'm going to read a headline uh, for the people listening and watching the podcast today that's hopefully going to give us the basis on which we're going to build today's episode. And here's the headline. UK startup invents groundbreaking augmented reality technology to create adverts the size of skyscrapers. This is bold, bold stuff. Where do we go from there? What do we mean by adverts the size of skyscrapers? It is, it is pretty bold. Uh, and the UK startup they're talking about, luckily, is my company, Lightvert Limited. Uh, Lightvert is a digital outdoor media technology company. And what we do is we create innovative new technologies for the outdoor media industry, essentially the advertising industry, but that's a, a particular brush with which to paint it. Uh, uh -huh. Our first product, Echo, is a revolutionary new type of display technology that allows us to make the world's largest digital outdoor images but without the need for the world's largest digital display. Um, shall, I, shall I tell you a little bit more about how that works? Please do, because I'm sure people would be fascinated. Um, I, I, a lot of people have got the idea and the concept of what augmented reality is, but put it into context for us. Yeah, this is, this is really uh, a new but also somewhat known uh, type of augmented reality. Uh, Echo technology, which we've patented globally, is a projection-based technique for creating hyperscale persistence of vision display images. Now, that's a, a big mouthful, uh, so we'll break that down a little bit. Uh, what is a persistence of vision display image? So persistence of vision is a phenomenon in the human eye where when you look at any bright light and then you look away, you see a ghost of that bright light for just a moment. That's persistence of vision. Sure. So what we do is we use that phenomenon in the human eye to literally print an image in the viewer's eye temporarily and safely, and we do it column by column for a two-dimensional image. So to explain how that exactly works, uh, our hardware consists of just a single thin vertical line of light. That vertical line of light measures no more than about 200 millimeters wide. So this bit of hardware can literally fit in between the windows on a building. And what happens is we have a very specialist light projector that sits at the base or at the top or indeed in both locations uh, relative to the reflector and it's on the same building, directly against the building. And it shines light onto the reflector. The reflector then diffuses the light and sends it out into the viewer's eye. And what's happening there is uh, our computer is taking a digital image and it's breaking it into vertical columns of pixel data and then our line of light literally blinks out each column sequentially. So column one, column two, column three, till it gets to the end of the image, and then it starts over again. So what happens is that when the viewer looks at this display directly, they just stare at it, they see just a slightly shimmering line of light. But as their eyes look away or look past the display, left to right or right to left, that column of light is printing a column of image data in a different location on your retina as your eye moves. So the entire image gets reassembled in the viewer's eye for what feels like a tenth to a quarter of a second. And we've, uh, as I mentioned earlier, patented this technology uh, globally. Uh, we've also built, now we're on version six of our working prototype, creating images up to 30 meters tall already. 
And uh, what we're uh, currently working to do now is we've completed all of our R&D, so now we're working to raise 670,000 pounds of, uh, of seed funding through Crowdcube. It's an equity crowdfunding platform. That will allow us to build the first commercial unit and sell that commercial unit into market through our, uh, through our industry partners, which is Kinetic Worldwide. We just signed a, a partnership agreement with them just last week. Uh, I'm curious to ask, first of all, you mentioned how long the image lasts for. Um, is that long enough for people to be able to process and recognize the information? Because from an advertising point of view and a marketing point of view, marketeers and, and brand managers, they want their brand seen clearly and they want to hammer home their brand constantly. You think about the big Coca-Cola advertising that you'll see around the world or the, or the Nike advertising. Um, is this going to last long enough for, for advertisers to really get value for money out of uh, out the impact? Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, our argument is yes. Um, but uh, the argument's a little bit more complicated than that, in that uh, what we have is a very powerful impression machine. This machine that we built, our Echo technology, can create massive impressions. And by the way, these impressions can sit in the context of the city skyline where they're really not competing with any other image. Now, will that work? Will that work? Is that, does that have value in, in the marketplace? You know, we're still a, an early seed stage business, and that is our challenge to prove that it has value in the marketplace. But having built several working prototypes and privately demonstrated those prototypes to advertising agencies, media agencies, and uh, um, architects and property developers and all the different stakeholders, everyone says, wow, this is really interesting. And we couldn't agree more. We think it is really interesting. When we speak with advertising agencies, they regularly talk about what it means to advertise at a premium level where it's really concept-driven uh, communications. It's not about selling cheeseburgers for $2.99 or lecturing to the viewer with a long paragraph of text or, or, a, or a detailed message. It's ultimately about a value, pro a value exchange. And what that means is providing them with an experience that essentially adds value to their day in some way. And yes, that might be a commercial, a consumerist experience. It might be a cultural experience like arts or sports or civic messaging, but it has an association to it with that brand. For example, when Nike puts, you know, a giant picture of Wayne Rooney up on a billboard, it's not a giant logo of Nike. It's a picture of Wayne Rooney, and that has cultural value. But yes, it's associated with Nike. So our medium is about creating uh, a, a new and intriguing value proposition in the outdoor media industry. And our technology creates very quick impressions. And that lends itself to certain kind of messages, certain kinds of content. So, uh, so what, what is that kind of content? We often classify it as what we call iconic content. So obviously logos work really well. Uh, obviously any iconic image works really well, like the Mona Lisa, for example, which is a very complex image. But truthfully, we can show it very, very well, and people get it, and they walk away saying, I just saw the Mona Lisa 30 meters tall. Even though they only saw it for a tenth to a quarter of a second, the impression and the experience is one that they walk away with remembering. And so they actually end up seeing it for a lot longer. So we're creating really a totally new media that hasn't existed uh, in, the, in, in the world yet, and we're trying to usher it in in just the right way in hopes that people accept it, brands accept it, and people recognize the, the really broad value that it actually can bring. Uh, two questions now for you. Um, the first of all, going back a little bit uh, um, to, to, the, to the initial concept, how the idea came about and how you've been able to actually bring it to the marketplace, because this sounds like something that 
will take an awful lot of research and an awful lot of very, very detailed knowledge and understanding of the system in order to, to, to create. So we'll ask that. And then secondly, I'm curious from a, a health point of view, that it might sound like a really obvious question, but the impact of actually sort of yeah. shining that light into people's eyes, I'm sure you've, you can answer both of those clearly. So let's look at the history first of all, where the idea came from and how you've been able to get it to market. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, the idea was really born out of uh, the fine art world, oddly enough, um, which a lot of great ideas are in, in, uh, in, in the advertising industry. Um, but my, uh, my previous company, before uh, setting up Lightvert and going full-time at Lightvert, uh, was a company called Haberdashery. And Haberdashery is a design and engineering company based in East London and specializes in light-based artworks, light-based products, interactive uh, sculptures, these kinds of things. And we were working uh, quite extensively with a very well-known lighting artist named Chris Levine. And we were helping him to build LED-based persistence of vision displays for his technical sculpture, which would then go into fine art galleries and uh, collector, collectors' uh, homes all over the world. And it's through working with that medium and through listening to the feedback from uh, his customers, especially some of his commercial customers like Selfridges and Coco Chanel and folks like that, where they would always ask us, how big can you make it? And can it go bigger? Can it go bigger? And it was very cumbersome with LED uh, to make a persistence of vision display that's larger than, say, four meters. It just things start to get challenging. Things start to get challenging with regards to. Um, sorry, I'm being told I need to be quiet. I'm speaking too loudly a little bit. I get very passionate. Um, <laughs> things need to be. Um, things need to be more. Um, uh, things start to become challenging with regards to um, uh, waterproofing. Uh, with regards yeah, yeah. to um, with regards to things like um, uh, low voltage uh, low voltage distribution, and so yeah, we then that have to come into play, aren't they? If you're using that term, yeah, that, exactly. That so we then exactly. So we then had the brainwave to use a uh, projection based technique for producing this type of display, and that's really where Lightbird was born. We then started looking at the patents. We found that we were able to patent it globally. Uh, we then started building prototypes. We proved the concept, and things just started to snowball from there. And and how long ago was that when 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 you thought right okay the patents are you know essentially available globally? Um, how long has it been from then until where we're speaking today? That started three years ago. So we've been on a long journey, uh, and we're now uh, halfway through our, our third year. And, uh, and working to uh, essentially raise our seed round of funding, which will take us to the next level, uh, which will let us build that first commercial unit and uh, commercialize the technology and improve the business model. Go, going on to the second question, uh, and as I said, I'm, I'm certainly you can answer this, and I'm certain it would have formed a big part of the, of the research and development into uh, the system, is, is from a health point of view, fundamentally by shining something in somebody's eyes, you know, is there any negative impact and, and what was looked at from a research point of view when you were developing the system? Yeah, yeah, we, we looked very closely at this. Um, obviously health and safety always has to be a primary concern and there are a lot of nuances to health and safety. First and foremost there's the general public, the viewers, uh, and the situation that they find themselves in if they're walking or if they're driving, these kinds of things. Now specifically just looking at the human eye, uh, there are absolutely no health and safety issues with regards to the human eye. Uh, the nature of our technology is such that the light is diffused to the point where it's at a very safe viewing level. And having built six of these and, and looked at all of them extensively, uh, I can tell you that there, there are no issues. Um, 
the one interesting thing that you know we learned working with some very very respected specialists in this area, LVR Optical here in the UK and Laser Compliance over in the United States. One of the things we learned is that actually the human uh, human physiology is very good at protecting itself when it comes to its vision. So if a light is too bright, you have to look away. You have to close your eyes. And we know that from both measurements and from viewer behavior, we have no issues there. We're just we're so far below. Uh, what's called maximum permitted exposure, uh, that we're, it's, it's not a concern for us. Um, then you have to look at things like uh, the health and safety for maintenance staff, uh, because they could potentially look at a much more dense, uh, uh, a moment when the light is at a much more uh, a dense uh, radiative level. And, and those are very simple things for us to deal with because of standard health and safety interlocks that already exist uh, in, in buildings and on laser systems. So uh, those things have already been, been dealt with. And then there's the issues that relate to uh, driver distraction. And that's a, that's a significant one. And in our industry, uh, digital outdoor media, when LED screens came on board, they had to deal with this uh, extensively. It was a real problem. And legislation came on board that stopped them from changing the image too frequently. Uh, in most locations, you still can't show full motion video. Uh, and, and this is to prevent driver distraction. Obviously, in terms of the content, there are a lot of very famous and, and mildly funny stories about content being distracting. But with regards to displays of a particular capability like LED displays or indeed like Echo, you have to be careful about driver distraction simply by virtue of the intriguing interactive nature of that display. And, and so we are going to have to travel a very similar path to what screens have traveled. I would never want to introduce this technology on the side of a motorway. Uh, I'd want to introduce it in the right way, in the right locations, with the right type of content, so that people can come to understand its nature before they uh, interact with it, for example, while driving. So, so let's, again, just for, for clarification and to make sure that everybody who's watching and listening today you know, f fully understands exactly what we're talking about here, the hardware itself that is, that is delivering the, the light, how close or how far away can somebody be in order to actually benefit from it? Right now, what we've produced is uh, a prototype unit, to, we have six of them, but we're, we're on our, our current one, lets us produce images up to 30 meters tall, and uh, it has a nearly 180 degree viewing angle to this display. And the viewer stands back anywhere from 30 to 200 meters from the display to view it. So it's a, it's a very broad viewing zone. Uh, there's some really interesting properties about our technology a two-dimensional screen, you know, that might be shaped like this, well, you can read it when it's flat in front of you like this. The moment you stand 90 degrees to the side, you can't read the content because of perspective warp. Mm -hmm. With our persistence of vision display technology, there is no such thing as perspective warp. The image always comes out perpendicular to your viewing angle. So you can get a true 180-degree viewing uh, of the display, whereas with LED screens, no matter how good your LEDs are and your optics, you'll never really be able to get a true 180-degree viewing angle. So we have that uh, on our side. So we can have a very, very wide viewing angle. Now, in all honesty, to answer your question, we have not yet been able, because we're still early stages in the business, to properly boundary test this technology. We don't know how far out we can push the light. So can someone view it from a kilometer or two kilometers away? We just don't know yet. Um, one, of the, one of the challenges in us figuring that out is getting access to buildings that are large enough for us to install a display that's large enough to then view it from a kilometer or two kilometers away. So one of the things we're really looking forward to doing 
is uh, partnering with the right real estate uh, landlord, you know, potentially in the Middle East or somewhere where we can really, really start to boundary test what this technology is capable of. Right now, we know that we're very good, very, very capable of producing really great visual experiences at 30 meter scales and 30 to 250 meter viewing distances. At that sort of distance, though, so let's take, take you know 200 meters um, as 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 our, as our figure for argument's sake. Um, is there a scenario where people may be subjected to it? And 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 forgive me for using the word subjected. I don't want to sound like it's too a, a negative thing, but people could interact or be subjected to it without actually wanting to do it. Because I suppose the beauty about an old-fashioned billboard advert, for example, is you have to make a conscious decision to look up and engage with that advert. With this, is there a possibility that somebody could be subjected to it without actually wanting to do it? So the light could just hit their eyes, they don't even know what it is. The, this, is um, this is something that a lot of people who haven't yet witnessed the technology firsthand are concerned about. Uh, they're worried that we're going to uh, essentially force an image into their field of view uh, that they can't ignore. And I can completely understand and relate to that concern. <laughs> Excuse me, but uh, having worked with the technology as long as I have, having put it in front of people who have never seen it before and seeing their reactions, it, it's a very different reaction. Uh, I, would, I would say that people instantly recognize that they have the ability to control the depth of their experience with this medium. It, it, it's because the medium only communicates to them for what feels like a tenth to a quarter of a second, because the medium uh, uh, is, is never like a screen in that it's never lecturing at you, it's just impressioning. People actually, if they're engaged in a conversation or engaged in a thought process or engaged in something else, they can ignore it. They don't have to engage with our display. But when people's minds are open to looking around, it's much like any other, any other display. They can see our display and they can engage with it as much as they want to. So there's, uh, there's, that's probably the only area where there's a real similarity between existing screen media and billboards and our screen media and billboards, is that people can choose to engage with it as much as they want to. And really, they can. It, we don't force ourselves upon anyone in terms of the experience. It's simply not possible. So in terms of ability to disregard, I suppose it's, it's no different than walking through central London. Um, and let's say walk into Piccadilly Circus somewhere, I'm sure everybody, even if they're not been there, they'll be able to identify with. There'll be yeah. a thousand different things going off in your field of vision at any one point. Yeah. But the human brain is quite clever at being able to concentrate and focus on whatever that person particularly wants to focus on. So it would disregard everything in the peripheral vision and concentrate yeah. on what it, what it wants to look at. And in some respects, this sounds like it's, it's no different. It will be there if you want to access it. But if it's in your peripheral vision and not something that you're focusing on, the human brain will disregard it quite quickly. Exactly. And what we do is we operate on the level of trying to create an experience for the viewer that's intriguing. Uh, and our medium has a certain way of doing that that's very different from screen displays or billboards. Uh, and so it's about content and it's about the method of interaction. That's what we're, what, it, those are the tools we use to try and uh, pull uh, the attention and enhance the experience of, of, of the outdoor viewer. So, you know, we are competing with billboards in that, in a similar way, in that we're trying to use content, intriguing content. But what Lightbird has, and our Echo technology has that billboards don't have, is we have a very iconic 
type of display. It's just a slightly flickering vertical line of light, and it communicates to you in a way where the image, you recognize the Im that the image only exists in your eye and not in reality. The image actually doesn't exist in reality. And so it's a very, very intriguing um, medium to interact with. We've spoken a lot so far, and I, I, I'm sure, um, myself included, people who are tuning into the podcast today are starting to build up a picture, for want of a better phrase, um, of what, what you're talking about here. We've spoken about it in the context of buildings and advertising and, and marketing and comparing it to billboards, but when we translate it into the events industry and its potential for event organizers, be that outdoor music festivals, be that a... Uh, a conference, an exhibition, it could be an experiential um, brand campaign, you know, one of these pop-up brand campaigns that you'll see in the street or in a, a shopping center somewhere. Um, how do we translate the technology into the events arena and have you already identified what the possibilities are for organizers and how they could deploy it? Well, um, I'm not an event organizer, uh, so I wouldn't want to um, uh, presume to, uh, to know exactly what event organizers want. I'm a technologist and I'm trying to develop an intriguing medium for people to use. And one of the things that excites me and excites this business the most is that we want to get the technology out there and work with partners that want to use it in new ways, in different ways, and really push the boundaries of what's possible with it, both in terms of the technology and its capability, but also in terms of the experience of the, of the viewer, of course. So we're looking for, for partners in the events industry, as well as in the digital out-of-home media industry to work with us uh, to make this as best as it can possibly be for that industry. Um, we, uh, just to be clear, the very first commercial unit, once we close this round of seed funding that we're raising on Crowdcube, uh, 670,000 pounds, we're about, uh, I think we're 35% of the way through that now, uh, so there's about 400,000 pounds left. Um, we uh, are going to be building the first commercial unit, which is going to be suitable for temporary installations. So that's installations for a day, a week, a month, and it's going to be easily deployed and easily packed up and shipped around, and uh, it's going to be able to produce images up to 30 meters tall. So that's a pretty sizable image. That's the height of some of the bigger stages in the world. And uh, this is a perfect opportunity to use it for things like uh, concerts, festivals, or, or any number of, of events. So uh, again, this is one of the other questions I was going to ask, is how easily programmable as a system, so how quickly could the image that's projected or, or, or being, being pushed out there be changed and, and customized and um, presumably is it a simpler case of just plugging in a, a laptop or some software and interfacing with the actual hardware? Right now, uh, we are, because we don't have a, a proper partner in the events industry yet, uh, we're working with our partners in the digital out-of-home media industry. And in that industry, there, is a very, there are a couple of major players in the media player market. And so our hardware literally just uh, plugs into one of these standard media player systems, and all of the content is served by the cloud. So you can provide any image you want, and, or indeed a film. Uh, if you do show a, a movie, of course, the viewers will only ever see one frame at any given moment. Uh, but uh, you can update the content in real time, you can even have the content be interactive. Uh, so we're working with these standard digital out-of-home media players, but there's no reason why we can't, as we're developing our first commercial unit over the course of the next six months, develop the unit to ensure that it can plug in using other methods. 
Uh, and we would love to be able to work with people in the events industry in order to figure out what the best way is to interface with the system. It's, it's great to hear um, a, a technology company coming forward and, and offering an opportunity for the events industry rather than saying, here is a solution to, to a problem or, or use it in this way. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, there's, there's an awful lot of fantastic technology out there in the events industry that, that's come to market recently um, and in the last few years. Um, but a lot of it is, 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 is very focused, it offers a, a particular solution to a particular problem and that's how you use it. And, and it's good to hear that with your particular technology and what you're bringing to the table is that you're essentially, it sounds like there's almost an open invite from people who work in the events industry to come to you and say, look, we've had this idea in our heads for ages about what we'd like to do. Is this something we can utilize your product for and, and could we deploy it? And it sounds like you're open to ideas. We absolutely are, and we encourage anyone to get in touch with us. Um, you know, this is one of those magical moments where we have set up a great supply chain. We have a great technology that is exclusively ours, and uh, we love trying to figure out how to make this the best thing it can possibly be. And we would love to partner with people in the events industry that share that kind of passion uh, to develop and, and, and really push the boundaries. If people want to find out more about it, uh, have you got any, um, are there any demos, are there, is there anything you know, visual or any way that people can sort of maybe see for themselves exactly what it is that we've discussed today? Yeah, I, I, absolutely there is. I, I, don't, um, I don't mean to, 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 to plug our crowdfunding, but of course we are crowdfunding and all of this really comes to nothing if we don't raise the funds. Um, so right now, uh, our best, the best means of understanding where we're going and how it's going is to look at our crowdfunding page which is crowdcube.com forward slash lightbird. That's very simple. And on there, you can f literally see how well we're doing with our uh, seed round funding. You can contribute minimum investments, 10 pounds. So you, can, you too can own shares in the business. And uh, um, we're offering just under 18% equity in the business for 670,000 pounds in total. We're around 33% of the way to our total. Um, what you can also find on there is a very, very lengthy, we've had a very great engagement from the crowd there's a very lengthy uh, discussion board uh, about the uh, strengths, weaknesses, challenges uh, of this technology, the benefits of this technology. Uh, and also, you can get in touch with us directly through Crowdcube. You can request the business plan through Crowdcube. Um, you can also see that we are uh, scheduling an investor event on the 8th of March in London uh, where anyone can come. They just need to RSVP, and they can find all the information for that on our Crowdcube page. So the best thing to do is, is check us out at crowdcube.com forward slash lightbird. You can also email me directly uh, or email the team, which is info at lightbird.co.uk. And we should point out that's L-I-G-H-T-V-E-R-T, lightbird.co.uk. Um, it's a fascinating subject, and this, this is, sounds genuinely like something that um, could, could potentially transform how we, how we market, how we advertise, how we engage with visual content. Um, and it, it sounds like one of those things you would have seen in Blade Runner when you first watched Blade Runner that very, very soon is going to be something that we're seeing on a regular basis. Um, so it's been fascinating talking to you today. Let's thank our guest before we round up um, today's podcast, CEO of Lightfoot, Daniel Sidon. Daniel, thanks for joining us from central London today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And don't forget, you can uh, subscribe to an audio version of this podcast, so you can listen to it on your commute to and from work or whilst you're uh, out and about, um, and you can go uh, over to iTunes and subscribe to the Event Industry News podcast, and uh, obviously videos of the podcast as well via Event Industry News 
www.tech-tips.com. Do have a look as well at all of the tech-related articles um, and previous videos and some of the event tech talks that are on the Event Industry News website, all of which I'm sure will tie in with some of the subject matter and some of the topics that we've discussed in today's podcast. But for now, we're going to round up and say thanks again to Daniel, who's joined us from central London. This is the Event Engineers Podcast. My name's James Dixon, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you.